0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian from Denver on the sidelines of the Air and Space Forces Association's annual Aerospace Warfare Symposium. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. On the program today is Major General Ed Thomas, the commander of the United States Air Force Recruiting Command, who also served a highly successful tour as the chief of the services public affairs community. We spoke to General Thomas just before the start of the aerospace warfare symposium. But first, a quick word from our sponsors, Leonardo DRS and HII sponsor our global coverage, Fortress Information Security, sponsors our weekly cyber report, General Atomics Aeronautical Systems, sponsors our coverage of strategy, Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage, and GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval warfare coverage. And our coverage here at AWS is sponsored by GE Aerospace, Leonardo DRS, and Helicon Chemical. Here's our conversation with
1: General Thomas.
0: General Thomas, it is an honor and pleasure having you on the program.
1: Hey, Vago, great to be with you today.
0: Uh, You gave a a terrific briefing for reporters uh, that was uh, incredibly thought-provoking, uh, about a new generation, uh, the, you know how this new generation is wired differently, but getting to understand them, because obviously you're not going to be able to recruit uh, and retain them uh, w- without uh, that sort of deeper understanding. And it was funny that I was at a, a conference earlier this year, uh, ran into a, a Navy lieutenant, you know, academy grad, and, and he was saying, uh, you know, and he graduated less than 10 years ago, and he noted, hey, sir, I have more in common with your generation, you know, I'm I'm in my mid-50s, uh, than actually I do with the younger generation uh, of kids in terms of how they're wired. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, because you've spent a lot of time thinking uh, and working with the Air Force leadership team on this, how is this new generation different? What makes them tick? What have you learned about what they find rewarding, whatnot, how they think, what they value, and what the challenges are to to recruit them uh, into uh, service.
1: Yeah, hey, thanks, Fago. You know, with almost any venture, uh, knowing your audience is absolutely critical. And we put a fair amount of research and thought and understanding into how we really understand, as you say, what makes Generation Z tick. So, you know, this is a generation that was born between 1995 And 2015, very different recruiting generation for us. You know, first off, this is the most diverse generation in American history, 50% diverse. So often people say, hey, why does diversity matter in the military? Well, part of it is just pragmatism. Uh, We've got to be able to throw a wide net out and be able to attract uh, the the best and brightest across uh, all parts of America, because that is our, our target audience. But, but when you get down into how Generation Z thinks, what motivates them, what lights their fires, uh, how you uh, appeal to them, it gets really, really interesting. So this is a generation that um, they relate more to uh, Elon Musk than they would, let's say, Michael Jordan. This is a generation that we think in terms of you know the military mind, in many cases, didn't grow up wanting to be tough, Rough, rough and tumble, um, aspire to, uh, to, to th- those kinds of attributes. Uh, they wanna be entrepreneurial. Uh, they are not patriotic in the sense of traditional patriotism. Definitely not a flag-waving generation. Uh, this is a generation that's grown up with uh, 9-11, with uh, Black Lives Matter, with COVID, with the economic downturn of 2008, Uh, This is a generation that sees doing their part to society often as pushing back against the system, being activists. And and so they ultimately, at the end of the day, this is a generation who wants to make a difference. They want to make it matter, but they see the world through very different lenses.
0: What are the biggest challenges to uh, attracting them? What's the key to sort of saying like, hey- uh, because you know, one of the things you've always said, you know, and and I, and I think this goes uh, always for the community, you, you know, you have to find your audience uh, where they are, right, and and bring them in. W- what are some of the unique challenges in bringing this generation in?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a couple of broad categories of challenges. The first one has to do less with Generation Z, but I got to throw that on the table. The first, the first challenge is really our short-term challenge. That's the economy. You know, we've got a fifty-four-year historically low unemployment rate, 3.4%. That equates to about 4 million more jobs out there on the market than people looking for jobs. So Generation Z has a lot of options right now. Uh, And if they want college educations, while it's not nearly the same package that we can offer, they can go to Starbucks, they can go to Amazon, they can go other places. So one is the economy. That's the short-term one. But but let me actually focus a little bit more on the longer term challenges. And that's twofold. The longer term challenges that have been, this has been like a slow moving train that's been coming at us for, for decades. And, and the biggest component of that is decreasing familiarity with the military. People just don't know us or know who we are today in many cases. And the second aspect of that is declining eligibility. So let me talk about the familiarity challenge uh, first. So this is what I would call a math problem. So the the country's larger than it ever has been. The military is smaller than it just about ever has been. There's less military bases than there ever have been. uh, And there's less veterans out there than there ever have been. Uh, Think about, Vago, when you were growing up, you know, we grew up with the World War II generation around us. My neighbor, uh, Bud Bardowski, uh, he was uh, a uh, POW in a Japanese prison camp for five years. He was part of the Bataan Death March. These are the people that I grew up with, and that generation has largely gone on. The Vietnam generation is is in their late seventies, eighties, and and beyond. So a lot of the veterans. The bases and even the currently serving members, uh, they're just not integrated into American society in the numbers that they have been. So it's highly probable today that there are Americans, we, we know there are Americans who know no one personally in the military.
0: Uh, you know, you you said that my my dad uh, was a World War II veteran, albeit uh, you know he he had been drafted into the in, into the Soviet Army uh, and then managed to come to America in in 1950. Uh, and everybody he worked with, and everybody we knew, had served in in World War II. Um, so I know you know, and there were so many uh, examples. And and of course, then there were folks who you know uh, had had uh, uh, served in Vietnam uh, when when I was young that we knew as well, right? I mean, so. Uh, even growing up in New York City. And New York City was more of a military town, I think, uh, than people uh, realize, uh, ultimately. Any great organization has to change to attract talent. Uh, Any really good talent then adapts to the organization. How how does this new generation, right, you and the senior leadership and the chief has made uh, clear, uh, General C.Q. Brown, uh, how important it is to accelerate change across the Air Force uh, or lose. And he means that on every single vector, whether it's on uh, technological change, organizational change, and we're going to be honored to be talking to him uh, next week uh, when uh, we convene in Denver for uh, uh, the uh, Aerospace Warfare uh, uh, Annual Conference uh, or Symposium. What are, what are the ways that you're already seeing this yin and yang on how, do you, how, how, how the kids may be changing, but more importantly, how the kids are actually helping shape uh, the Air Force for the future, for the better. Okay,
1: yeah, so let me catapult off your, your veteran comment. You know, you said your dad was uh, served in, in World War II. So my grandfather was in the horse cavalry before World War II, my dad was in the air cavalry. Uh, I served in the Air Force. I've got a son who's a captain in intelligence at Eglin Air Force Base. Got another son who is a uh, Air Force junior, Air Force cadet at, at Texas A&M. Daughter married to a uh, an Army uh, armor officer and, and a daughter in the intelligence community. So this is the family business, right? And we have a lot of people out there that uh, they're, they're kids. They they go into military because they see it. They know who we are. They get excited about the adventure, the value proposition, the kind of people that, uh, that they get to work with and be wingmen with every day but but those numbers are declining and we cannot depend as we draw our recruits in on military kids and military families wholly I- anyway so we have to be able to reach this american generation where they are we have to be able to do what we call not just qualify the interest interested but go out and interest the qualified to be able to go out and and broaden our pool of uh, young men and women out there to interest them in coming to us. So so how do we do that? There's a variety of different things we're doing. Uh, You know, one of them is we have to be very, uh, very thoughtful in our marketing, our advertising approach. This is a generation, Generation Z, that often if they see just the the polished, uh, highly produced marketing ad is is largely going to just, click through it. They're going to go to the next thing. Uh, they're they're a little bit, how a little bit of John DeSai to the Madison Avenue kind of approach. Uh, thinking in some ways, maybe with maybe with good reason, somebody's trying to sell me a, a bill of goods here. So we got to get into their spaces. We've got to be able to introduce introduce ourselves and, and provide exposure where they are. So we're using partnerships like 4-H and First Robotics and US science and engineering, motorsports, Athletic competitions to be able to get in, to be able to mix with them. So, we've got, we use these partnerships and then our presence in the high schools and the junior colleges and the public spaces to build relationships so that while we may do generate an initial amount of interest through digital marketing and digital media, ultimately, we want to be able to have an eyeball to eyeball personal relationship that's going to uh, tip the balances for somebody to make a decision to come be part of the United States Air Force or the United States Space Force.
0: As, um, you know, one of the things that you said uh, at uh, AFA uh, last year was that in the wake of 9-11 bases closed, um, military members were told, hey, take your uniform off. You know, you'll be a threat. So, so don't wear them. How are the reopening? And then, you know, of course, you had COVID and you really pretty much couldn't do anything for a while. How are you looking at Using bases, using people wearing their uniforms more as as a broader engagement tool, because you know one of the things, uh, you know, it's it's great, you know, it, it's it's great to have families who are committed to military service the way yours is, and and many others. But then the downside of that is that it becomes a separate caste almost in society, right? That you you talked about a little bit last year as well. That you want that diversity, you want more people going in there as as opposed to just those who see this as as a family business. What are ways to sort of broaden that that franchise all the way from opening up facilities to doing again, as you said, these sort of different kinds of engagements and partnerships?
1: Yeah, thanks. Back to the the primary challenge for us, if I had to say there's one fundamental primary challenge, it goes back to that lack of familiarity with who we are as a US military, as a US Air Force, as a US Space Force. So our principal challenge is to get out and reintroduce ourselves to America. And and this isn't just an Air Force challenge or a Space Force challenge. It's bigger than DOD. This right now is a whole of government challenge for military service, for public service. So, Vago, we have a, a campaign that the chief of staff is leading. We informally call it the Go Blue, Stay Blue campaign. Because the idea is we need to go out and reconnect and reintroduce ourselves to America, so they think about going blue, think about going Air Force, uh, and they meet people, service members, men, women in uniform who who make military service real and personal and tell their their stories. But then there's a second part of this, which is the Stay Blue campaign, because right now we're significantly under glide path in our recruiting for our. There are air reserve component. That's our air national guard and and the air force reserve. Um, We are behind in recruiting in those areas. And and a big piece of this is because we don't have enough air force members who are thinking about staying blue, staying with the team and taking their training to the guard and reserve on a part-time basis when they leave active duty. And we've got to do more to inspire them and show them the value proposition of staying with the team. So this campaign to go out and reach America, small towns, and by the way, not just those immediately outside the, the gates of a military base, that's usually not where our recruiting challenges are. It's the rest of America. We need to penetrate. We need to be able to get in and inter- reintroduce ourselves.
0: How do you, um, you know, this is uh, a more questioning generation, as you said, right, a little bit more uh, skeptical uh, the military services have a tendency of saying, "Well, you know, we do this the way we do it because that's how we've always done it." And this generation asks why a lot. Well, what? Why do you do it that way? Um, and and indeed, right? I mean, the key to innovation, and I think what the chief is talking about is ask yourself some hard questions. Why? Why are we doing it that way, right? How? How once this generation gets in the Air Force, how are they helping change the force from from your uh, perspective? whether in questioning, challenging, uh, and forcing everybody to think differently?
1: Well, I think the first thing, Vago, that's a real benefit for us as airmen is, is we have a long history and culture of being the why askers. We're the ones that go, why? Why can't we do it from the air? Why can't we fly over the battlefield and not have to go through the battlefield? Why do we have to do it this way? And, and we are a culture from bicycle mechanics in, in Dayton, Ohio, uh, all the way through modern air power of trying to figure out different ways and ask ask why. So in some sense, the attributes of this new generation of asking why kind of fit the, the, the airman uh, ethos in, in many ways. Um, but we're also having to make sure that we are adjusting uh, our approach uh, and how we lead our airmen, how we take care of our airmen, how we provide voice to our airmen, because we've got to meet this generation where they are. We've got to understand this generation and we've got to know how to motivate them. So they've got buy-in and want to remain part of this great Air Force team.
0: So, you know, I want to get back to uh, the the value proposition, right? So part of the challenge uh, is uh, getting to where they are, right? The other one is making the case to sort of close them and, and bring them in. Right. Um, what, what? How do you how do you rate your efforts at getting in front of them, and then how do you rate your efforts that once you do get in front of them, you're getting them in the door? Right. How how? What's your batting average? Not to be, too blunt about it.
1: Yeah. No. It's a really fair question. The batting average isn't good enough right now. Um, we have seen we've gone from years and years of very strong recruiting to now we're below glide Glide, below glide slope in, in every component with exception of the Space Force, but mm. Air Force, Air National Guard and Air Force Reserve. So our batting a- average is not good enough right now. We've got to do better at both getting in front of them and then being able to, as you say, close. Close uh, not based on a sales model, but based on a value proposition that that uh, helps communicate opportunity, community and a sense of unbeatable purpose by coming to be an, an American airman. And as we work to connect with this generation, there's two real components we look at. One is the transactional piece of things, because like, let's let's make no mistake, uh, we have many, many people who come into the Air Force because they, uh, they want an education, they want to get out of their hometown, they want medical benefits, they want to be able to take care of their family. So while The desire to serve and be part of something bigger than themselves is certainly present. There's a transactional piece of this, of of what can we offer them? And we've got to be really good about being able to communicate that while um, Starbucks and others may offer education, the package that we're able to offer, the opportunities, the community, the purpose is is unbeatable.
0: Uh, On almost all of those metrics, right? Um, each of the military services excel in opportunity, um, you know education, uh, certainly benefits uh, which are which are very strong. I mean indeed, right I mean in part we have a veteran unemployment problem in part because folks don't really want to leave the service in some cases because the benefits uh, are, are better than they are in the, in, the, in the civilian world. There's a big debate, General Thomas, obviously about standards, right? How much physical fitness standards uh, should we have? Uh, are the physical fitness standards the right kind of physical fitness standards? Are the personal standards the right one? You were telling a couple of fascinating stories about how you personally get involved in tattoo waivers, right? What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? And to you know this younger questioning generation, skeptical generation. You know, all the things that make the military the military uh, are, are somewhat less attractive to them. How are you in the senior leadership negotiating what are the standards that we need? What are important, right? Some militaries are experimenting with you don't have to make your bed. Uh, others say that's just the worst idea in the world. And they hearken back to what Admiral McRaven said, right? If you, if you get up and you make your bed, that's an accomplishment that makes you the rest of your day go better and, and make you more efficient. What's, what's the balance in a modern military on what its base standards should be? Because those standards then, in turn, either make it easier for Ed Thomas and his team to recruit or not.
1: Yeah, so standards is something that we talk about on a daily, multiple times a day kind of basis, Fago, And when we talk about standards, we're talking about a variety of different issues with standards. We're talking about physical training. We're talking about weight. We're talking about academic Uh, educational standards, we're talking about medical standards, Uh, physical health, mental health, we're talking about behavioral standards, have they been in trouble? Uh, We're talking about standards all the way across the board. Um, And and we have been taking a very careful look. The thing that I can tell you is that I'm happy to report right now that while we may be under our our goal right now for what the numbers that we want to get in, our quality remains very, very high. Our quality remains high on academic standards, our ASVAB testing scores on the enlisted side, for example, certainly on the officer side, recruiting is really not a problem on the officer side. Um, Behavioral standards, medical standards, uh, we're working to keep a a high standard that's there. But there's other areas where we're taking a hard look at what are our policies or perceived standards that may be unnecessary or may not reflect modern society. So you got a great memory you brought up the tattoo thing we talked about this time last year, I was literally approving on my cell phone hand tattoos. Uh, a group commander, a squadron commander would send me a chief would send me and I'd say yes approved. Um, and because of the the chief, the secretary and specifically a vice chiefest vice chief chief of staff of the Air Force sprint uh, basically a kind of a scrum coming together to be, doing simultaneous staffing to remove barriers and cut through bureaucracy, we have changed several of those things lately with the vice chief's leadership. For for example, we now have a tattoo policy that's much more reflective of America. And, and I'll just give you an example. Uh, you know, a year, year and a half ago, we would have somebody come into our office that might have a small finger tattoo between their fingers or something small in the back of their hand And we said, hey, uh, and they could have had a a 90 ASVAB score. They could be All-American on their football team. And we'd say, you know what? We would love to have you, sir, but why don't you go next door to the Navy? Or why don't you go down the street to the Army? We can't take you. That made absolutely no sense whatsoever. So we've we've changed that policy. Uh, Another area that we've changed is uh, body composition. The Air Force was considerably more strict than the Department of Defense body composition standards. And I got together with my counterpart, uh, Major General Michelle Edmondson, who runs our training enterprise for the Air Force. I said, look, if somebody is a percentage or two over the desired Air Force standard, but within DOD, you can get them fit, right, Michelle? You can teach them how to eat, you can get them on an exercise regimen, you can get them ready, right? She said, absolutely. So we've looked at those things, and we've we've quit shooting ourselves in the foot by turning people away that actually met DOD standards. Now, at the end of the day, we still need them to be fit, ready, capable airmen, but we can get them there.
0: I want to uh, talk to you um, a little bit about the the franchise itself, right? Um, Less than 1% uh, of uh, the nation serves uh, in uniform in some capacity. Um, that is, as you noted, less percentage-wise than it's ever been, and that is uh, unfortunately going to grow. The population will keep growing, just as those who are serving in uniform are, are, are likely to be shrinking, as, as you indicated, because of the challenges. Um, General Jim McConville, the Chief of Staff of the United States Army, has been looking to figure out ways to increase that franchise with direct commissions, especially for skill sets that the army needs and may not have within its boundaries or doesn't have 15 years to, to grow and create on its own. What are some of the innovative things the Air Force can do and how can you use direct commissions and other innovative mechanisms to increase the capabilities, the skill set? You know, if you wanted to, to say the intellectual and other diverse elements of, of, the, of the force, uh, especially in, in maybe technical or specific fields, that then in turn sort of help expand the Air Force's numbers, its reach in society and the like? I mean, what are the innovative different ways as opposed to saying, hey, you, you got to come in, uh, you got to come in as a cadet, we got to grow you. And in 30 years, you'll be Ed Thomas. Are there different ways of doing this and saying, hey, you know what, May, I'm going to bring somebody in as Major Thomas, and I'm going to have them in for five years just because they've, they've got some real skill that I could use for, for a couple of years?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Vago. And you know, we've done this same basic thing over the years. If you look back to World War II, we could bring captains of industry in and make them logistics officers and make them a colonel uh, because they had the experience and the background to be able to come do this. So we do this in our Air Force today. It's a balance, but we call it constructive service credit. And we can bring someone in, direct commission them, Uh, They'll still go to officer training school because we still need everybody to have a, uh, you know, a base of understanding before they put the uniform on. Uh, But they don't have to have gone to the Air Force Academy or four years of ROTC. And then we can bring them in uh, anywhere from, instead of a second lieutenant, anywhere from a first lieutenant to a colonel. Uh, And we do this in the areas where it makes sense and it's appropriate. Uh, We do it for cyber officers. Uh, you know, have communication expertise. Right. We'll do it for medical officers. Uh, we'll do it for others where they already have a skill set and a level of training that we need, and we'll bring them in, direct commission them at a higher rank. It's just the right way to do business.
0: Uh, any interest in sort of expanding that program?
1: Yeah, there definitely is interest in expanding it. The Space Force, uh, General Raymond before he left, and now General Saltzman, very, very interested in how we bring in space expertise you know if somebody's been with uh you know virgin galactic or uh SpaceX or some other company uh that understands space and has that background and they have a desire to come serve their country in uniform we need to be able to bring them in so we are doing that uh in different areas so we are expanding it i don't want to overstate the uh the expansion we're doing it where it makes sense but there's still a balance uh, with our very distinct profession of arms and military culture of of growing your own and training them up, and then laterally bringing people in to join the team, you know, at the midpoint.
0: Let me ask you uh, two more questions, uh, sir. What one of which is, um, unfortunately, there is uh, a political divide uh, in the country, right? On on the one hand, the military is seen as you know, uh, so right-wing that it, you know, dissuades other people. On the other, uh, this, I think, erroneous perception that somehow it's so woke that it, you know, war fighting is irrelevant, right? That everything is about diversity, uh, which is also patently untrue. What are the misperceptions, right? Uh, As that 1% who's trying to attract, right, uh, the the right kind of talent to join uh, each of the services, what are the biggest misconceptions that you're fighting against, and how do you communicate that to this? How do you communicate that, right? Because at base, you're, you're not just a leader, but you're also a career communicator. How do you communicate that when people are now increasingly in their own silos, and how you crack those silos to correct misconceptions on either side?
1: Yeah, so three things come to mind, Vago, when it comes to misperceptions. The, the And I'll, I'll hit each of these just sequentially. The first one is the, the number one reason that people report they don't want to join the military. And it's a 65% say fear of death or injury. Um, that's the number one reason people don't, don't come in. They don't want to join. And the reality of it is, is if you come to the United States military, if you come to the United States Air Force or Space Force, uh, death, injury, the rates are higher in the civilian sector than they are in, in the military uh, because of our training, because of our standards, because of our rigor. You know, our sacred obligation is to take care of America's sons and daughters when when they come to us. Uh, so while we all raise our right hand to support and defend the Constitution and we know there's risks that come with that, you are statistically going to be safer in the military than you are going to be other places. So so that's one big misperception. Y- you mentioned diversity. That's another misperception that I personally uh, get frustrated with occasionally because the, the two arguments I hear, are just th- to put it this way, there are folks who think that uh, if you care about diversity, you don't care about war fighting, that it's, uh, it's, uh, it's affirmative action or it's something that, uh, that somehow um, denigrates our, our meritocracy, um, and I have to absolutely refute that. And I can tell you my three years in recruiting command here, I have been uh, a voracious defender of our, our meritocracy. Um, so here's the way I would explain it. I, you know, As I already said, this generation, Generation Z is 50% diverse. So we have to do a better job of inspiring all parts of America to this uncommon, extraordinary life we call military service we want them to come try out for the team. We want them to come out and and be able to envision themselves wearing our jersey, passing the ball, kicking the ball, hitting the block and dummy, whatever kind of analogy you want to use. So we want to do a better job attracting them. But at the end of the day, we're going to pick the best athlete. We are going to choose that person, whatever their demographic or their background is, that's going to be the most capable, uh, most ready player for the team so, so that's number two uh, our meritocracy is absolutely critical to war fighting we owe the American uh people nothing less um and, and then the uh, the third category uh, kind of goes along with the first that I mentioned you said wokeness a minute ago and like others sometimes I'm sort of grappling to make sure I understand exactly what that is and, and in what context people people mean it but I think I generally have a pretty good understanding, and I, I there's anecdotally, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of concern out there from people that things I hear that we're either too woke, or we're not woke enough, uh, and depending on which side of the spectrum people come from. Uh, but I'll tell you what our studies show us again. Back to my first one, the the, the key reasons people are deterred from military service is a misperception of, uh, you know. Uh, Physical death or injury, uh, physical injury or death. Um, only about the army just did a study on this. Only about five percent or less of the respondents cited the uh, the political aspects or awokeness as any part of their of, of their calculus. That's
0: uh, that's absolutely fascinating. It's interesting, right? Uh, how uh, very different facts are from what perception uh, is. Uh, let me let me just add. But how do you communicate that, Ed? right, Um, more broadly, because these perceptions, in some cases, uh, I hate to say it, are hardening and have a tendency of coming up, right, even in casual conversation beyond that, which I do from a work-related conversation. When I'm with, you know, civilian friends, uh, people who are outside the military sphere, you have to spend so much time depending on the political persuasion of the person to sort of explain what the reality is, and oftentimes they don't want to hear that reality, right? Uh, the January 6th protesters were overwhelmingly military guys who were, you know, they were extremists and they were charging uh, the Congress. Well, you know, they're so woke, they don't. How do you communicate that? And how does the force do that? I know that I'm crossing into, uh, you know, a- another, but, but at base, you're also a communicator, right? Leadership is about communications, what are some ways to better communicate and dispel these misperceptions? Because they in turn make it hard for you to do your job, which is one of the most important in the
1: Air Force. Yeah, Baga, we've got to talk about all of these issues. We've got to talk about the tough issues along with the rest of them. So look, here's the conundrum that we're in is that you can't deal with a lot of this stuff in advertising, in marketing, in digital marketing. You know, if you look at our average uh, you know, typical uh, marketing effort or outreach effort, it's a 15 second spot or less that's going to talk about service, opportunity, uh, lifestyle, uh, training, travel. You know, it, they're they're very quick. They're get in, get out. Uh, quick, fast moving kind of ads. These are the kind of issues that you really only generate that level of understanding by knowing people, by having a level of familiarity. With who we are, and that goes that goes from everything of having our service members out there in the schools, in the communities, in the churches. You know, having personal conversations with people, getting to know people, um, and, and and then it goes to um, um, you know grander whole of government approaches to helping people understand what military service is today. To even popular culture and, and Hollywood. Uh, And trying to break through and penetrate uh, culture today to help people have a clearer understanding of the reality of military service, that's no small issue.
0: Let me ask you uh, one last question about how each of the military services Um, Right. I mean, while on on the face of it, it looks like you're all trying to beat each other's brains out to get the best uh, American uh, talent you can get your hands on and to wear Air Force blue as opposed to Navy blue or Marine blue or Army green. Um, You also work together. How are you guys working together to better understand societal trends, work trends, uh, and even generational trends? Right. Um, Because, uh, you know, your recruiting challenge goes everything from Uh, The 18-year-old, whether on officer and enlisted, uh, all the way to folks my age on direct commissioning, right? So you have to understand all of these generations. How are you guys working together on this to really better understand the challenge, to communicate it, and and really to um, advance the interests of the broader team as opposed uh, to your own at somebody else's expense?
1: Yeah, my joint counterparts and I, we work really closely together. I can honestly say they're a group of friends. We're very collaborative. It's kind of a cooperate and graduate group because we know that if we do this well together, if, if again, we assert that our number one problem is lack of familiarity with the military, with America, we're going to be better served by all working together to, to tackle this problem. Now, I'll admit, you know, there's some friendly competition, you know, here and there, but it's it's friendly competition. Uh, Major General Bill Bowers is my Marine counterpart. We went to Capstone together as general officers. Great guy. One of the smartest Marines I know. Johnny Davis, Major General Davis from the Army. Supercharged guy coming up with great solutions right now, like uh, the Future Soldier Preparatory program to get otherwise not qualified people ready to be qualified and to be soldiers. Admiral Lex Walker from the Navy taking a different approach, Super Bowl advertising. We all get together and we talk about how together we can move the ball down the field. Because if we do this in in a unified joint warfighting fashion, like we go to war together, we're going to do better in the recruiting realm.
0: Uh, well, I wish you uh, nothing but the best, General Thomas, in uh, doing, uh, as I said, I mean, one of the most important jobs uh, in the force uh, to make sure that there are a new generation of airmen always coming in, uh, whether they're serving on active duty in the reserve or or in the guard. Um, thanks so very much. Really appreciate it and look forward to having you back on the program again soon and certainly looking forward to seeing you uh, out in sunny Denver.
1: Hey, thanks, Fargo. Great talking to you today. Look forward to seeing you next week.